and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. And this week, we'd like to welcome you for a special episode on asexuality in honor of Asexuality Awareness Week, or ACE Week. I am your host, Anna Moyer. And I'm your co-host, Laura Munoz. And we are here with Katrina Schmavik. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a second year PhD student in the Department of Philosophy, working on, generally speaking, the philosophy of psychiatry, though my background is in neuroscience, and I am someone who identifies as asexual. Wonderful, and thank you so much for coming out today. And maybe just to get us started, could you tell us what is asexuality and maybe some of the related terms that we're going to be using in today's episode? Yeah, so basically asexuality is sort of a, a newer um, sexual orientation. So it's still a very much developing field, but the, the currently accepted definition of asexuality or asexual is someone who does not experience sexual attraction or an intrinsic desire to have sexual relationships. Um, sort of the way that I like to look at um, describing or explaining asexuality is sort of by thinking about, we all know about the, the usual sexual orientation spectrum from homosexuality to heterosexuality, and then a whole bunch of others in between, including bisexuality and things like that. However, that's really only that, se- that spectrum that we know of is one part of a bigger spectrum, which I will refer to as the sexuality spectrum. And that spectrum goes from asexual or asexuality to allosexual or allosexuality. And essentially the sexual orientation spectrum that, we're, that we know of is only part of the allosexual um, end of the sexuality spectrum. So allosexual essentially just means that um, if you're allosexual, you experience sexual attraction to other people. Um, and then of course there'll be gray sexual or gray sexual uh, in between. And those would be the people who feel minimal sexual attraction or people who don't identify with all of asexuality, but identify with some of it um, or only feel sexual attraction under certain circumstances. Amazing. And I think there's also demisexual is another similar term. So someone who's demisexual only feels sexual attraction after a strong emotional bond is formed. So they, they will not feel any interest in, um, in having sexual relations or engaging sexual relations with someone until, um, or they won't have the ability to feel that until a, a strong uh, bond or connection is formed between two people first. Excellent. So with this, uh, you are now talking about sexual attraction. And that makes me wonder, uh, is that how's that related to romanticism? Like are asexual people able to form romantic relationships with others? Of course. So there's something that um, a lot of asexual people sort of subscribe to, uh, which would be the split attraction model. So what that means is because someone can be asexual, they can have other types 
or they can feel other types of attraction. So attraction is really just a motivational stage or like an, a, a sort of desire to engage with someone else. Um, and that someone else would be the person you are attracted to. Sexual attraction is only one type. Um, there are many different types though, and one of them is romantic attraction. So some people who prescribe to the split attraction model use their romantic orientation um, in addition to the label of asexual to further describe what their um, attraction orientation, I guess, uh, actually is. So just like I said before with sexual, like you have your sexual orientation one, but that's actually part of a bigger uh, umbrella um, or broader spectrum of sexuality, we have the romantic spectrum as well. So that would go from aromantic to alloromantic and then gray romantic um, in between. And all the same prefixes that were used uh, or that are used um, in the discourse for sexual orientation are also used and mean pretty much the same thing um, in the discourse with, sex with romantic orientation, except obviously we're not referring to sexual attraction, we'll be referring to romantic attraction. So people that, um, an interest or a desire to date the person or do romantic things with um, the person you feel romantic attraction for. So someone can be aromantic, which means that they don't feel romantic attraction. Um, someone can be alloromantic. And then obviously with just like with asexuality and the sexuality spectrum, the alloromantic side of the spectrum can be further broken down into your homoromantic, biromantic, panromantic, and then heteroromantic. Um, and those, again, have the same definitions as they did for sexual orientation, just referring to romantic attraction in this case. Could we maybe get a little bit more into what sexual attraction is for you maybe and what is sexual desire is there a difference between the two yeah that's actually one of my major pet peeves i mean there's lots to have a pet peeve about with wikipedia but it's one of my major pet peeves um for the specific uh topic is that wikipedia lists sexual desire as a synonym for sexual attraction for the sexual attraction wikipedia page um and that's just not right. Sexual attraction and sexual desire are two separate things, though they can be really difficult to separate and differentiate, especially when you are um, allosexual, because they often are felt at the same time, um, or you don't really think much or anything of it, right? And then sometimes it can be even difficult for asexual people to, differ to differentiate because they might not have um, or might not feel sexual desire in the same way as someone who's allosexual would. So from the research I've done, I've been able to sort of work out an understanding of how they differ. Um, and essentially the main difference between them is that sexual attraction is directed towards someone. Whereas sexual desire or sex drive or libido, if you want to get Freudian about it, um, that is directed to really nothing. It's just a motivational state. Mm -hmm. So sort of think about the 
because sexual attraction is an attraction, it is directed towards something and is felt towards someone. So sexual attraction is just the desire or yeah, the desire to engage sexually with the person to whom you feel the sexual attraction for. Whereas sexual desire is just the general motivational state to get off, let's say. And sometimes people will want to do that in a partnered way. Sometimes they'll want to do that separately and masturbate by themselves. Um, sometimes they'll just ignore it. Uh, but sexual desire is completely different from sexual attraction because of that directional focus um, of, of sexual attraction that sexual desire just doesn't have. So if I understand correctly so far, we have there's sexuality, which includes um, all of the sexual orientations, and then the possibility of people that just is not sexual attracted to anyone else, but that's different to feeling sexual desire. So, so asexual people could have sexual desire, they just don't experience sexual attraction. Is that correct? Yeah, so people, asexual people, um, just like allosexual people, have a range of different relationships with sex and their own um, sexual natures, let's say. Um, so some asexual people have high or average libidos or sex, sex drives, let's say, um, and they're, they're asexual, um, even though they, they do experience sexual desire and they, they, they can choose to engage in partnered intercourse. It just means that they don't, it's not really a necessity. Like they don't see sex or sexual relations as being an important or intrinsic part of their attraction to people. Whereas it seems like it might be something that is important um, for allosexual people when they're trying to find a partner, let's say. Um, whereas for asexual people, we some of them are sex repulsed, just like some allosexual people can be sex repulsed, which means that they don't want anything to do with intercourse or perhaps even masturbation too. And they and they stay away from sexual stimuli and all of that stuff and all things sexual relevant or sexually relevant rather. But then there are other people who are sex positive or sex favorable and they, they would be okay with compromising with their partner um, for whatever reason, or maybe they want to have a child and they can engage in intercourse um, for that reason, or they might just uh, engage in non-partnered sexual stuff, which would be masturbation um, for the release or because it feels good or whatever, because arousal is, is something completely separate from both sexual attraction and sexual desire. Amazing. Could you talk a little bit more about sexual arousal and how does it play into asexuality? Do some folks not feel any sexual arousal? Yeah, I, I believe what um, the, the, it also sort of varies between for asexual people. So there are some um, asexuals that are called like non-libido, non-libidoists uh, asexuals. And I believe those are the asexuals that don't really have much of sex drive or don't really feel 
sexual arousal that could be considered um, a medical disorder, like hyposexual um, dysfunctional disorder. But I believe DSM-5 actually included uh, the exclusion criteria that if the person identifies asexual, they can't get that diagnosis because obviously with that, the dysfunction like that, it, it causes, um, it causes harm to the person. They're not happy with it. It's not just part of who they are. Whereas for asexual people, and if that the sexual desire is sort of um, packaged in with, with their asexuality, then, then the, it might not actually be all that distressing for them to, to not have a high sex drive, for instance, or not want to engage in partnered sexual relations, right? It, it's just not really an issue <laughs> for them. Um, as it would be for someone who who is allosexual, perhaps. Um, for some of us, and also from personal experience, it can be a really weird thing. It can sometimes be like an, an annoyance um, or something that you just rather would not have happen <laughs> uh, or something that you would just rather ignore. Um, but for others, like for those who, who find that it's useful as like a release or that it feels nice or it feels good or whatever, then yeah, we, we just like with allosexual people, you have a very personal connection to your own physiological states. And especially since sex and sexuality is so deeply personal, mm-hmm. it, it really depends. Um, like sex repulsion and sex favorability and sex indifference those aren't specific to asexuality. So Katrina, you mentioned that uh, there's possibility to have partner, like uh, partner relationships between asexuals. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on that and tell us about like queer platonic partners or how do you relate to your partners when you are an asexual person? Yeah, so queer platonic partners or queer platonic relationships are something that are really interesting to me. So they're primarily a thing for people who are aromantic and or asexual. And essentially they're just partnerships that are sort of deeper than the best friendship, but um, sort of rely on a deeply committed platonic relationship um, between two people. So you wouldn't necessarily engage in sexual relations or romantic relations, um, but they often, so queer relationships, QPRs, um, they, I mean, they, they can't get married, they, they can adopt kids, they can even have kids if that's what they, they want to do. Um, it, on the surface, it can look exactly like the the norm of romantic or sexual marriages or partnerships, um, which sort of seems to be the assumption that people make when they see two people on the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, in this like the stereotypical relationship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it they can look exactly like that. They, like I said, they can have kids, they can get married, um, all those things. But um, it's it, it wouldn't necessarily involve the the extra stuff that that might be um, involved in a in your norm in your norm uh, stereotypical marriage, I guess you can say, which would be um, sexual and romantic and things like that. 
but frame that as the extra stuff fantastic (laughs) (laughs) yeah the extra stuff right I mean to me it would be extra stuff but I guess to other people it's it's a fairly important and quintessential part of a a committed partnered relationship but you know for for us it's sort of just like yeah (laughs) and I heard there's also the term squish what is a squish yeah so squishes so we all know what crushes are right they're sort of like this I guess it is based on like romantic attraction right it's like this feeling that you just want to get to know the person and want to date them um and it's like this intense desire uh squishes are the same thing except with friendships so they're sort of like if you see someone you think they're super super cool you want to be their friend really really bad and that can still cause you to be flustered around them and everything, um, especially if you're awkward like I am. But, <laughs> but essentially that, that friend crush um, or a platonic crush, that, that's what a squish is. And anybody can have them, obviously, but, but they are typically a, an asexual or like an aromantic um, culture, I guess you could say, thing. <laughs> So now that you're saying that you're weird <laughs> and, and, and I was wondering because it must not be easy for you to realize that you're a sexual and that which kind of relationships you would like to have. So I was wondering what was your experience on realizing that you're a, you were a sexual and how have you uh, experienced your own relationships if you want to share? Yeah, that's that's a difficult question to answer. And I think I mean, obviously there can be um, doubt and and conflict with and personal conflict with your own identity with people who are allosexual too. But for asexual people, it seems like that doubt is just always sort of persistent or like at the back of your mind a little bit um, because it is incredibly difficult to prove a negative. You can't really prove a negative. Um, I spent so many years and months trying to figure out and research what sexual attraction actually felt like because I wasn't ever really sure if I had ever experienced it before. Um, and it's it sort of it sort of started, I think, when I realized that like the typical boy crazy phase um, that happens with teenagers, um, or teenage girls specifically, because I was in an all-girls school, <laughs> uh, all-girls high school. So that that boy crazy phase, it just didn't really occur to me. Um, some girls would, or I say girls because I was in all-girls high school. So <laughs> um, some girls would be reading smut or whatever at some point, and I just had no interest in reading it. I had no interest whatsoever in in dating, I had no interest in in doing any of that. Um, and another part too that sort of helped, or further down the line, I guess, part of the the like ace things, I guess you can call it, or part of ace culture is realizing that terms that Uh, are ubiquitously used you've just misunderstood all your life until someone actually explains it to you (laughs) Um, so for me that term was hot so for instance like when people say like oh that person's hot it every everybody knows what that means right you 
I sort of just learned based on context cues that like, oh, my friends say this person is hot. So that must mean that they're like objectively attractive, um, right? Or like nice to look at. Um, I didn't necessarily know that it meant anything else other than that. Um, but it turns out uh, one of my asexual friends, she is actually married to someone who is allosexual um, and their relationship is hashtag relationship goals to be social media cringy, but um, they're, they're awesome. I, they're so great together. And um, we talk to him a lot about like what it actually feels like to be a or allosexual rather because uh, we don't really know <laughs> um and one thing that he mentioned was like yeah when people say hot or like people use the term hot because when you see someone that you're sexually attracted to your body temperature literally increases like you feel hotter or like when you're when you're kissing someone that that you're sexually attracted to your body temperature will rise not just because you are close to someone but because it's part of the physiological experience <laughs> of of that act, let's say, right? And that was mind blowing to me um, because I did not know that people looked at someone else and had like their body temperature rise. It, it had never really happened to me before, I don't think. <laughs> um, but it now when I, I also just realized that like six months ago. So it was <laughs> fairly recently when I realized that I've misunderstood or misinterpreted what hot meant um, this entire time. No, I was just wondering what uh, you mentioned uh, sexuality. I feel like it's easy to associate it that more like with the genitalia or something like that. And then you mentioned kissing. And I, I wonder, you also don't feel the desire to kiss uh, people? So kissing is a difficult one because sometimes, like I said, there's different types of attractions. So for some people, they think, or they categorize kissing for them as a sexual act. Some people categorize kissing as a romantic act. Some people categorize kissing as a sensual act, which essentially just means that it's part of the five senses. So there's also sensual attraction, which is just an attraction to hug or cuddle someone or like maybe even hold their hand. Um, though some people would put holding hands as like a romantic thing. So it, it really depends on the person and what they're comfortable with. Um, I, I've seen kissing be categorized as like any of the three. And I, I would assume that it just depends on the type of kiss <laughs> um, that you're giving. Uh, for me personally, I've only ever had one relationship and it was at the tail end of high school in my last year. And it lasted about 12 months, a year or so. And it took me probably six months at least to get my head wrapped around kissing and why people enjoyed it. Because to me, for the first while, I mean, I, I always thought it was just like me getting into my own head about it. But gosh, when you think of it, kissing is so weird. <laughs> like I've, it, it's a very strange thing. Um, and some people like it. Uh, it's a really personal preference. I, I would probably get used to it, but I don't think I would ever really, if I wasn't told that kissing was a thing that people did and enjoyed, I don't know if I ever would have engaged in that or initiated it 
or thought to even do that to someone else on my own. <laughs> so um, all of these terms and all are new for me. And I was wondering, given that uh, sexuality is such a, like a very personal experience and sexual orientation, I like everyone experiment love and sexuality in different ways, even with different people. So I was wondering, why do you think that all of these labels and all of this is important for uh, people to know about and to be familiar with? Yeah, so I guess there's sort of three parts to this answer. Um, the first part is more related to your question about why it's important for people to be familiar with these terms or why it's important for awareness to happen. Um, and I think primarily it's so that we can stop sort of the stigma and discrimination, but especially with asexuality and the things that, are sur that surround the asexuality discourse, specifically the differences between sexual attraction, sexual desire, and sexual arousal and things like that. Um, I think that's hugely important for anybody to learn about. And it's not really something that you learn about in school. It, it's not really something that you just stumble across. Um, it's something that you kind of need to look into. Um, and a lot of people won't really feel the need to look into it because they, I mean, I looked into it because of the asexuality thing, <laughs> um, right? But if, if you aren't asexual then, or if you're not curious about it, then there's no reason for you to really pursue or look into that information. And I think that learning about that helps you better understand yourself and sort of better understand people and your relationships with people. Um, like just because your body is getting physiologically aroused to something that you personally disagree with, let's say, it doesn't mean that your body is broken or that you are inherently a bad person. It's just your, your brain being, sending signals to your body because it has sexually relevant information in front of it. There's no context to that. It's just that oh, sexually relevant information, ping, and then it, your, your body responds as, as it should to sexually relevant information, right? So there, there are lots of sort of facets to this part of life that people don't really talk about or understand. So aside from the stigma discrimination, being more tolerant and accepting society, I think that also is a huge part in terms of why labels themselves are sort of important or why there can be so many of them. There, there are lots of people who think that like, okay, well, I don't need to label myself. I'm just gonna be, be me and I don't need to put myself in a box or I don't need to put, give myself a label or something. And that's totally valid. Um, however, from my own experience and what I've seen these terms and these labels hold incredibly important historical and political significance. So if we look at the term gay or homosexual, there were so many people who've lost their lives to fight for any type of betterment <laughs> or any type of acceptance. Um, and I think that it's sort of important that we not trash those uh, labels, at least to honor the, the history of what happened. Um, the, the other side of it too is that 
sometimes labels can be incredibly validating and um, and it can give you or it can help you better understand yourself. And especially if you're feeling like you're different or like your experience isn't matching up with what other people around you are experiencing, that can feel incredibly alienating. So in terms of asexuality, because research is not super, um, it's not super common <laughs> yet, though it's getting better. Um, we don't know a lot about the actual stats, but the, the most widely reported number is 1% of the population is asexual. So if you think about it, that's not a huge amount of the population. So if there's a place- billion of us. So even 1% of 7 billion is uh, a good chunk of- It is, yeah. And I think there's even more and more people um, identifying as asexual. I think that's a, a fairly old statistic. <laughs> um, so there's probably a lot more than 1%. But sometimes if you if you don't have other friends who are asexual, if you don't know the term asexual um, or any type of term, um, let's say like even non-binary, for instance, like gender um, identifiers and gender identity, if like, finding those terms and finding online communities related to those terms can be incredibly validating and finding that community can be in, super, super important. Um, because if you don't have anybody in your social circle that feels the same way you do, it's very easy to think that you're just broken. And especially when society says that sex and sexual desire and sexual attraction is what makes us human um, or is an intrinsic part of human nature, uh, it can be quite devastating if you aren't aware that that's fundamentally untrue. <laughs> And you mentioned earlier that a lot of, you know, for example, public school education is not very representative of, I think, queer identities in general. And especially, I think that's true for newer identities that are coming out like being non-binary or asexual. So what are some resources that anyone who might be interested in learning more could check out? Yeah, so the number one resource for asexuality and learning about it, even if you are a family member of someone who's asexual or is a partner of someone who's asexual, um, the Asexuality, Visibility and Education Network or AVEN um, uh, is the number one <laughs> place to learn about all things asexual. Um, there's a forum that's attached to it. There's even a wiki attached to it. And the forums are incredibly useful for people who are trying to figure out whether they're asexual, people who want to meet other asexuals, people who there's even forums specific to partners of asexuals, um, friends, family, things like that, who just want to learn more about what it is that their friend, partner, family member, et cetera, is, is going through or experiencing. Um, however, I will say again that the asexual experience is very varied, um, but it's an incredibly, it's an amazing resource. Um, the other thing that I'll mention is the asexuality subreddit r <laughs> uh, slash asexual I believe it is um, at the top they have the wiki and they even uh, with the wiki there's like the the experiences section I guess and that's basically where they've collated or collected the responses that to questions that people have asked such as what does sexual extraction feel like 
um, or what does romantic attraction feel like? And then they have given or collected the answers to those um, questions in that wiki. And it's incredibly useful if you're trying to figure out whether or not you've experienced that before, let's say. Um, and there's also a subreddit for aromantic um, as well. So that's always nice. <laughs> uh, and of course, since it's Reddit, you also have all the memes as well, um, which can be fun. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing those. I hope they'll be able to help someone out. And I'd also like to mention that the graduate peer support group at SOGS has a uh, shared experiences series. And I believe that our next shared experiences is going to be on asexuality. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we're collaborating together um, for this episode. And the session will be November, sorry, I'm just looking at my agenda here. Uh, will be November 4th. Um, and we'll be discussing, or I guess extending the conversation that we've had here during this episode. Um, so if you're interested in learning more or asking more questions um, about this topic or just chipping into the conversation, feel free to join us for that conversation series. Fantastic, and how do we register? There will be an email coming out. Um, so keep an eye on the SOG social media, keep an eye out for SOG communication emails. Um, other than that, it will, I don't believe it's now, but um, there will also be a registration link at the GPS website as well. Well, thank you so much. And we are so happy to have you on for this special episode. And thank you so much for being on it. Um, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Anna, and my co-host was Laura. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night. Bye.